All right, so welcome to Reflection as a Service. I'm here, Paul Merrill, with James Jeffers. And we're here to talk today with a guest. You guys know that we're software engineering and entrepreneurship is what we like to talk about. And today we are really happy to have with us Tom Davies. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And Tom has been in software engineering for quite a while. You've done, I believe, the freelance thing for a while and you've started your own company. So we want to talk to you on both fronts, on software engineering and on entrepreneurship and your ventures there. Sure. Cool. Well, this should be lots of fun. Um, you know, as we get started, James, I always ask you, how are things going? Things are going pretty well. I had a really interesting experience two weeks ago. I took the Highlands Ability Battery, which is a an assessment tool for figuring out uh, how best you learn and what kind of work environments you thrive in. And I, we could probably talk about this, you know, in depth at another time. But I think I learned some really interesting things about uh, myself and some of the career decisions I've made act, actually made a lot of sense looking back. So that's kind of what's up for me. I know you just got back from Star West. Yeah. So any new listeners we have from Star West, I was out at Star West. I talked about data, test data management out there and had a really good response, met a lot of great people. It's a great conference. It was in Anaheim this year. I'm not sure where it'll be next year. And the next thing for me is the Better Software Conference down in Orlando in November. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll be talking about how to sync up testing and dev and agile environments down there. And if you're going to be that way, please Flag me down, stop me, and let's chat. Are you gonna do like a like a hallway, um, uh, like like an un an unconference session on test strategy? Well, I, I don't know how to unconference. I've got to get better at conferencing before I can unconference. What is that in the hall giving a demo or something? I, uh, you know, like yeah, yeah, basically like the the you know like one by one or gather around. Yeah, everyone. come on, everybody. <laughs> Hot topic right here. No. Although one thing I did like at Star West is they had one-on-one with the speaker things that you could sign up for a session. So I got to sit down with some folks that have problems similar to what I was talking about. And that was really nice to get to know some folks. And I look forward to building those relationships. Uh, there's a book I just read called 80-20 Marketing or 80-20 Sales. In this book, insert title here. Uh, he talks about, uh, you know, he's he talks about the concept of when you're trying to figure out who's interested in what you're, what you've got to sell, right? You go through a process called racking the shotgun. And, uh, there's a whole story about where he comes up with that terminology, but basically you're giving a signal into your potential market space and you're simply looking at the people that turn their heads toward what the noise, so to speak, that you just made. So I, I think that's, that's kind of like having those one-on-ones. It, it kind of like shortens that loop to the point where you are talking to people who have turned their heads and like the thing you just talked about, I really want to, I really want to dig into that. Yeah, I think so. It, yeah, it's it's trying to figure out who who self selects into what you're offering because yeah. that makes it much hopefully much quicker going through through that funnel. Yeah. And I want to talk about that with Tom some. Yeah. Um, but maybe first, Tom, if you don't mind, could you just give us a heads up kind of headline bio of your career? Uh, career is a big word. <laughs> uh, so starting from college to now, that's probably too far. I'll just start from now and move backwards until it gets boring. Uh, so these days, my main focus is on burstcommerce.com. Uh, I've been doing that for maybe nine months or so. Um, started out just blogging, trying to find. It's in the e-commerce space, as you might in, infer from the name. Uh, and, uh, and basically tried a whole bunch of different things, talked to a bunch of different people, uh, and, and ended up settling on Shopify as an ecosystem because it seems like, you know, it's relatively young and upcoming and seems like an easier way to like test out some ideas 
with the overall goal being find something that works, find a value proposition, and then potentially expand that out into like e-commerce is a very fragmented industry. So expand it out to like Magento and other things potentially um, based on that. And uh, and roughly maybe six to nine months ago, well, I said it's been nine months. So like roughly three three months ago uh, is when my, my first Shopify app was finished um, and launched in the store and it's called Bestseller Insights which uh, the first version of it is basically like Amazon bestsellers, but applied um, in very Shopify specific terms. Shopify has things called collections rather than categories. And it basically lets store owners uh, showcase their bestsellers more intelligently. Um, and uh, and I'll, I'll skip over the details, but essentially like that's, that's where I'm trying to make my mark is in Shopify around understanding how your products are selling and then using that data to change the way you run your store more intelligently. Um, and then pr- just prior to Burst Commerce, uh, like the reason I ended up in the commerce space was because I had a t-shirt search engine and I still do called tnormous.com that uh, I and another guy started roughly in 2009. And, uh, and, and that actually had a lot of success. And then Google kind of changed its mind and did some algorithm updates. And so now it's, it's been on a slow, slow decline, still brings some money in, but not enough to like put too much more, uh, of an investment in. And before that, uh, so, so roughly three years ago, um, right, right between teen Armas and burst commerce, I started doing consulting full time, uh, slash freelancing. So you started out in software dev though, software engineering. Yes. And what were, how did you make this transition? I guess, cause we, we like to go back and try to understand people's stories and where they came from. We're looking for the key to the lock of being successful in entrepreneurship. I think from kind of a software developer's mindset, I think that's kind of where we're going. Cause that's both of our careers. Um, so, so I'm what still was looking this? for that as well. Well, and here's the thing though. You, you talk like you're in bit, you talk like you're in the marketing department for some fortune 1000 company. Okay. Um, the language that you're using is very different than software engineers use. So where did this transition start to happen and why? Uh, I don't know if I should be offended by talking like that. <laughs> <laughs> you should not. I think it's a necessary progression. Uh, so where where did it begin? Like as a young boy, uh, so basically I've always wanted to do my own thing. Always. The only reason that it's only been in recent times, like 2009 is not that recent. It's still like r- roughly seven years ago, but I've, that was only the first thing that started bringing in any sizable amount of income. There's been fits and starts of things that bring in little to no money ever since like the moment that I started in the employment world pretty much. But it's, it's only been in the last three to four years that I decided that I'm just going to roll the dice and go all in. And that's why I stopped working full-time W2 jobs to just buy back some of my time to work for myself. So that was step one. But, and at the time I had enormous revenue to sort of offset that. Um, so, so it was a little bit of an easier jump for me, but now that's sort of, as I mentioned in decline. So I'm trying to grow the, this other revenue streams such as Shopify thing. But I don't know if that answers your question. But to, so going back to the origin story, it's it's. I feel like you're you're either born an entrepreneur or you at least have a, like aspirations to be entrepreneurial, or you don't. And I've been talking to a lot of people over the past couple of years now that I've been out and about more doing my own thing, and then there's an equal number of people that just that never even crossed their mind to ever do entrepreneurial type stuff. So I kind of feel like if if you're having those thoughts that you might be an entrepreneur, even if you're not doing it yet. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah. Is, do, you, do you feel the same way, James? 
I kind of feel that way. Uh, that it's it's a seed that's planted early. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily born into a person. I think a part of it, personality-wise, probably is. But I, I personally think that environment has something to do with it as well. Yeah, I think we were we were talking before we started recording about uh, an experience we had back when we were in school. Uh, you were showing me. You said, James, you got to check this out. And it was a like a flash animation of a, flo- a frog in a blender. Right, and you, you press I think it might have been Joe cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> you, as you press the buttons, the little frog would spin around, and uh, he'd make noises. And uh, I think you pointed out that like the, this guy was making big money just by having people come to his site. And it was like, oh, you mean you can do stuff with computers, and it means I don't have to work for a bank, yeah, uh, and, and make money. And it's like, so not that there's anything wrong with that. No, no, right, right. yeah, yeah. Please, no, all hate mail should go to Paul. <laughs> Uh, but you know the idea that you could you could have a career, right? You could make money without having to necessarily work for somebody else. Like here was an example of somebody who was actually using all this technology to make something that was making money for for him. And it was cartoons, which I I doodle in cartoon land all the time. Are used to. I've gotten away from that a little bit these days. But that once I saw that somebody could do something that didn't seem like work and turn it into dollars, then that was like where the light bulb sort of went off for me. Yeah, so you said there were fits and starts getting getting going. And I know for me that was probably true. It's probably still true to some degree sometimes. Um, I know for myself, there was always a project I was working on outside of work. There was always something that I could envision being bigger than whatever I started with. Um, something that I could see having some marketplace to be in, even though at the time I didn't necessarily understand that concept. Is that what you mean by fits and starts? Basically, it it's almost the equivalent of like hobby style projects were, were things that I thought that there was usually always some monetary component in my ideas and any ideas that didn't have a monetary component. I think I quickly learned that they were not going to have any traction for me long term. It's not that I'm money driven. I just know that if the money is coming in, then it helps you like sort of justify spending that time doing that instead of doing whatever, like the enjoyable things in life that you might be like, I just listened to your last episode. So that, you know, similar to that, like, uh, what, what causes you to, to choose the workaholic mindset, uh, is more, more likely to be motivated by like, can I get the money to grow higher so that I can potentially buy back some of my time to not have to work so much. <laughs> and then there, there's a part of it that you mentioned as well. You said with T-Normous, you had gotten to a point where it was starting to taper off. And I think there's a part of these things where, your hobby gets to a point where you have to start investing into it and you, you feel like it has to actually generate something to continue investing into it. And these things, some of these things, some of these ventures, they just have a lifespan of their own and there's not much you can do about it. And there's certain, there's a certain point in time when maybe it tapers off, which it sounds like maybe T Normus did. And you've got to make the opposite decision. Is that kind of where you were going with that? Is that what you meant by that? Uh, basically. Yes. <laughs> can it maybe, um, what led to this new uh, this new venture, Burst Commerce? So, yeah. Well, so the, the life cycle of from T-Normous to Burst Commerce was T-Normous. So Google, if anybody follows the Google algorithm updates, it was the, the mother load panda, the first of the horrible algorithm updates, knocked T-Normous, this traffic in half in like one night. Like you wake up the next morning, half your traffic's gone. That's crazy. Uh, and then, but and that if that was all it was, it was still making a pretty like you would probably people would celebrate for what it was still making at that point. That was back in two thousand uh, and eleven, February something. 
Um, thankfully, I've, I've, I used to know that date because it was such a horrible <laughs> date, uh, but I've, I've slowly been, the wounds are healing. Uh, so, and then, so I, I basically went all in and tried, maybe I can fix it. And I spent longer than I should have, like an, another couple of years investing like 10 times more effort into trying to fix the problem than maybe I had even put into leading up to the problem of the algorithm update. And I think it just turns out that the landscape has changed, like the, which I think is going to happen in lots of different business environments. The landscape changes, it's outside of your control. I probably should have called it early, way earlier than I did, but I put two to three years. That was part of the reason for my motivation of going freelance to, to have enough time to, to really go all in on trying to get this thing back to where it was. Uh, and once I saw that, that that wasn't looking possible, then I, I started looking out. I started doing a lot of um, trying to find uh, like the, what do you call them? Where, where you're basically trying to discover product discovery, where you're going through like the customer development lifecycle type stuff, yeah. where, which is a hugely painful process. Uh, and I, I would say I'm pretty horrible at it uh, based on my track record of, I tried several different industries, all of them tangentially related to either t-shirts or e-commerce. I ended up settling on because I feel like that's the intersection of, of what I've already been doing and sort of what I'm drawn to. Um, and then so Burst Commerce just was like the natural end result of all of those discussions of, I know I want to do something in commerce. I don't want to turn T-Normous into an actual t-shirt company because T-Normous is just, I don't think I really built up what T-Normous does, but it's, it basically just aggregates t-shirts from other merchants into a search engine. So it's the perfect business model of, I don't have to do any work other than it's software. Uh, but once you transition into an actual, like I would basically be a merchant and no longer a software developer if I was uh, selling. There's a possibility of doing some dropship type stuff that I might look into. Um, but anyways, to answer your question in the most long-winded way possible. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, what that's, we're here for. That's how I ended up <laughs> from Teen Armist to Burst Commerce. Cool. Why, for example, why did you pick Shopify? So that's another good question. That's why I asked it. You're the best, James. <laughs> James and Tom go way back, by the yeah. way. This is, we got Tom's interview because James and, and Tom. Did you guys go to school together? We did. You went to school at that other place in Florida, right? The best place. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that setup. <laughs> That's funny. So we're not going to get all Florida political here, but uh, go Gators. <laughs> oh, no. I know. This, see, this is why we have no listeners in, uh, in Gainesville and Tallahassee is because we have this unholy union of one guy that went to Florida and one guy that went to Florida State. Two guys so. and now. And no one two, outside. Two yeah. Nobody in North Carolina gets it. Nobody in North Carolina. You're right. It's a different kind of rivalry. People will say like, oh, the Gators. I love Florida State. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Isn't that in Athens? <laughs> right. So, James, back to your amazing question. Why did I choose Shopify? Yeah. Basically, it was a little bit of a roll of the dice. I'll tell you, on, on BurstCommerce.com, I started out with just doing general blogging about e-commerce. And I quickly realized that general blogging about e-commerce is relatively boring. And it's hard to gain traction if you go too broad. So so then, you know, like basically like how to optimize your, your e-commerce store for SEO and whatever. And, and I just think there's a lot of people out there doing that already and doing it really well. So then I felt like I need to niche down in some direction. So I started looking around. There's Magento. The problem for me with Magento, which maybe for your listeners, they don't care as much. It's written in PHP. It's self-hosted. And it's a giant monolith of just crazy complexity of like just looking at the schema was enough for me to say, 
I don't really want to build plugins in a PHP ecosystem like that. Um, so, so even though I know Magento is a leader in the space and I know it'll probably be one of the first things I have to go to next, um, I wanted something that was a little bit more tangible and easily approachable. And so I looked at Shopify and BigCommerce, which are two of the more recent entries into the marketplace. And for as far as I could tell, Shopify trumps BigCommerce like at least 10 to 1 in terms of popularity. And their ecosystem is thriving. They have really good development tools, really good APIs and development environments. So, And they also have an app store type model, which may or may not be a good thing. But at least it gives you a place to like hang your shingle of an app and throw it in there. But uh, uh, if that answers your question. So it, it pretty much was the, the clear winner for if I have to pick one, Shopify is very appealing for a lot of reasons that I just mentioned. Yeah, and then you said, uh, okay, I'm going to dip my toes into this and I'm going to start writing an app. Yes. And I think you even had articles that you were writing about, hey, I'm going to write an app and here's how I'm doing it, right? Yes. And so as so one thing that's probably worth mentioning is like I, I've been spending all this time trying not to be just a developer. You had mentioned sounding like a marketer. Maybe that's because like I've been trying to make myself be more of a marketer than a developer because the developer part is the easy part for me. Like I can do that. And maybe I, I have done that in the past. Just go all in. Let me build, build, build and then build something and nobody comes. So I was trying to do a little bit of a mix. And as I was building this app, I was blogging about it. And it, it turns out, I, I don't know if it's just a combination of too small of a niche and or like the search engine landscape for search traffic has changed. But it, I would say it was a trickle of marketing rather than like any kind of flood of marketing. And, and it, the kind of people that it, it drew were more developers and not merchants which is a shame because I would love if the somehow the ap- appealing to the developers would translate to more sales because that's like right in the same sweet spot for me. But now in, in more recent months, I've been having to go and talk more marketing speak as you as you will and, and do more like articles that I think would appeal to merchants to have specific problems in their store and find the intersection of that with what my app can do and, and basically try to like marry those two things together. And every once in a while, I'll still sprinkle in some of the technical side because that's really where my my heart and passion lies. But I think the reality is when you're running, if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to spend a large part of your time doing the things that you don't really enjoy doing. Yeah. That's just a fact of the. Well, and I think your story is very common for software engineers that get into building their own businesses. I think you you I had this idea, and I don't know if you did too, and I've talked about this before, that software engineers were the most important part of whatever business they were in. They were creating whatever this technology was, and that's that's what really mattered. And I've talked before, we had an episode about marketing. Uh, I don't remember the number, but it was in the last probably five or 10 episodes. So if you want to go back and look that up, it was titled Marketing, where James and I just talked about it. But I think the fact that you you sit down and you don't know this whole other world and you, you put things out there, you try these projects and you put them out on Amazon and you get a domain name and you try to do some advertising. You say, why is nobody coming? Nobody's coming to my site. What does it matter if you build something great if nobody knows about it? And just just getting a certain level of exposure is incredibly difficult. Everybody tends to come to their first business plan or their first set of plannings for a business to say, okay, how am I going to market this? Well, it doesn't matter. If I get 1% of all the people in China, that argument doesn't work because how are you going to get 1% of the people in China? That's the argument that you have to look at. And I, I think that's very, very important. And I think all a lot of us get to that point very quickly. 
Yeah, and I, I've been here in other projects in the past, but the thing that I feel like is different this time is I'm I'm going all in. I'm 100% determined to just st- stick with it, I think, is the number one thing that people don't do is like ride through. So this didn't necessarily work. Some of these things, like I, I've definitely been building relationships as a result of those actions, even if it's not translating into direct customers every time that I do those things. But just getting like people will know that I'm in this space and that if there's something like over time, I will become known as like the the app that you need if you need something related to knowing how your sales are doing and using that in your store. But I think that it could take years in some industries to really establish yourself in those terms. Like the overnight success thing, as they say, can sometimes be like a, a 10 oh, year overnight success yeah. or whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, and I think you're absolutely right. You think about the, the part of committing 100% and going all in. And you like if you go back and you look in your LinkedIn connections and you look at people who have changed jobs or changed careers, there's a part of your mind that says, oh, it's a year later. I wonder if they're still doing that. I wonder if they really committed to that. I wonder if that really is what they're identifying as now. And I, I think I think you're absolutely right that people have to know this is what you're doing. You're going to be doing this for however long you have to tie up these identities in it and your brand with it and everything else and push full steam ahead. Have you, it sounds like you've noticed a big difference in going about it this way, as opposed to approaches you've taken in the past. Definitely. Uh, I think in the past, I, well, I think a natural tendency is if you don't hit the overnight success or, or maybe you, you basically get to a point where this thing has to work or else then you have to go get a job or whatever. Like I try not to put myself in those situations and set myself up for this is something that I'm going to see incremental gains until at some point like the the, the pendulum or the snowball, if you will, will start to grow. Um, and and just, just by being there and showing up every day in the same space, I think that that's like a key, a key differentiator. That are the stuff that you're writing uh, for more of the merchants than the technical folks. Um, can you give an example of one of the more recent ones that you've that you've done? Okay, so if you go to Burst Commerce, www.burst. I'm just kidding. Um, it's smarter. I believe the title was Smarter Product Marketing Using Sales Trends, which which is basically uh, like I'm 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 not pivoting, but I'm basically adding. So my the first version of my product was all about showing like bestseller badges and things like that. But then I started getting feedback from a couple of the customers that. They really wanted to be able to use that data as part of like crafting better ads for their products in their Facebook feeds, like only focusing on the best selling ones instead of like painting, uh, like, like basically uh, setting up an ad across all their products because it's very wasteful to spend the same dollars on your bad sellers as it is for your good sellers. Um, and likewise, uh, within the store, the, like the way that you approach uh, promoting your best sellers versus your worst sellers, like you might have to provide a lot of incentives or discounts for really slow movers. Whereas your best sellers, you may not have to really discount, but you may want to put them in front of people more often. So, so the whole, that, that blog post was sort of like the, the foreshadowing of this next version of my app that I'm doing, which is really just um, making it so that they can take all that and use it in their store, not just as a badge, but to like sculpt their products into different groups in a tangible way that you can't do easily in Shopify proper, if that makes sense. Makes so, sense, yeah. So I'm basically trying to find like complementary topics that are sort of just uh, uh, reinforcements of what my what I believe the value proposition is that I'm moving my product towards. 
And so if you, and, and I'm asking simply because this is the kind of thing that interests me, but when you, when you've written this material and you've gotten out there, are you looking at, you know, who's reading it versus how many leads you might be getting for other development projects? Or is it just at this point, it's just, it's just one of the bricks to borrow a phrase from our favorite person, Amy Hoy. Uh, so there's just one of the bricks. You're stacking the bricks and there's just one of them. Or at, at geez, just, don't piss her off. <laughs> the last thing we need is Amy Hoy pissed off at us on this podcast. I didn't say anything bad. <laughs> I think the more times you say her name, you're more likely to. I thought she showed up if you said it three times. <laughs> you supposed to say it in a mirror and say her name three times. And then she appears behind you. <laughs> so it's for me, it is more of a stacking the bricks at this point. Um, I will say, so there's there, a friend of mine is is just killing it with email marketing and, and doing that kind of thing, content marketing, capturing emails and then sending targeted blasts to the list. I think that's a really great strategy and one that I will do if I ever have enough emails to, to be sizable to do that strategy. So I'm I to answer your question, I am trying to capture emails at every step of the way and then I will also label them based on what blog posts they were in. But I have such a small email list at this point that it doesn't make sense for me to try to like segment them or I'd be segmenting them into like dozens or less into each segment. So that that is my version 2.0 plan is to turn it more from a brick into an actual strategy of of like now I know you like this kind of thing. I'm going to make more of this kind of thing for you and make sure you get some more of that kind of material. Well, that makes sense. How are you? Is there a tool that you're using? For oh, I'm process? using Drip just because uh, it's Rob, Rob Walling. Well, formerly he was the owner, but they just sold to Lead Pages. But Drip, um, are you familiar with Drip? A little bit. Why don't you? But some of our listeners may not be. Okay. Well, use my affiliate link. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't use an affiliate link for Drip. Uh, so Drip is basically like, I, I'm trying to think of, it's it's. Email marketing automation, but uh, can you think of some of the other ones that are out there? It's I'm blanking, probably because. Uh, who's the big competitor? Um, With like Mailchimp and things like that. Well, I was thinking more like for bloggers, uh, ConvertKit. Well, that I, well, like some of the industry established leaders is what I was looking for too. But anyways, it's email marketing automation, and what it lets you do is take your emails and then add um, special metadata to them so that you know these people. Like anytime somebody interacts with your site in a different way, you can tag them different ways. Like I'm also using it when people sign up for my app, I will put all the the store owners contact emails into a separate campaign so that I have all the app install people. And then I also when they uninstall, which hopefully is, is it's definitely smaller than the installs at this point. Um, I put them in an uninstall list so that I can potentially send them a targeted blast that says when they uninstall, uh, send them a, a follow-up to ask them why and, and try to get some information about that to see if there's anything I need to fix. Or if they install, I can basically do like a, a time series delay of things. Like I send them a welcome email with my, it's a personal welcome email with my contact information and everything. And then I could, and, and this is more like the things I could do, but it doesn't make sense until I get to a certain volume is, uh, is once I tell, like, I don't know if you're at, there was a microconf conference that James and I went to, and there was one that they talked about having like a customer success metric where you try to see like how happy your customers are in app. And uh, I think it might've been Brendan Dunn that mentioned that. Um, and basically it 
as people use my app, I could get a level of how, how invested they are in the app. If they haven't even finished installing it or doing the config or they're not using some core essential parts, I can tag them in drip to say that they haven't got to step one or whatever. And then I could send them a tailored message to say, I see you haven't done whatever. Would you like me to come help you do whatever? I'm happy to jump on a call. And so it just gives you a way to sort of automate your contact with people in a way that doesn't feel like a robot is on the other side of it um, and can therefore lead to better results. Uh, do you have any um, early success success stories? Like, you know, I watched this person start the engagement with, you know, through the email list and I've been able to move them closer and closer to a point where I feel like, okay, like I'm going to start to do business with this, with this individual or. Uh, unfortunately, no, but I'm not, I'm not actually right now. I'm only doing a newsletter. I'm not doing because like I said, until you get to a certain volume of people, it doesn't really, I, I, right now I haven't put any effort into having like another common tactic that drip promotes is having like a email, like a email course that like a five day learn how to do X, Y, Z. And I might dabble with that, but th then I would have more of the funnel that you're talking with. But right now I don't have anything <laughs> worthwhile. Just kind of building the initial body. I'm basically just, yeah, I'm stacking the bricks as you to put in James parlance. No, that was Amy Hoy. <laughs> now we've said it three times. Ah. <laughs> Here she is. <laughs> now the best thing to do is to just to claim ownership of somebody else's like it, it's stacking the bricks by James Jeffers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna hear from Amy's lawyer. <laughs> well, this is fun. Look, I we're really enjoying talking to you. Um, once again, we have Tom Davies on from from BurstCommerce.com and previously from Tnormous. Make sure to go look at both of those sites, um, especially look at, at Burst.com and what they're doing on the Shopify platform. Um, you know, it, we're sponsored by my company, Beaufort Fairmont Automated Testing Services. We work with teams to transition to automated testing and help test teams sync up with dev in agile environments. Uh, some things that are coming up for, for both of us. I, I mentioned I've got a conference coming up. James, what else is going on with you? What do you have coming up? I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a, a desert of, of fun things to do until next spring. Really? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're super busy with you've got tons oh, of customers. And well, yeah, customer work. Yes, but yeah. I mean, I, there's all the conferences that I want to go to. Oh, they're all next year. They're all next year. I gotcha. So I'm just going to crawl into a uh, my hobbit hole and uh, work until January. Gotcha. And then that's and then I'll emerge again in the spring. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Tom, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get going? What do you have coming up for for your your applications and for your work? So for, for my Burst Commerce, I'm mainly just doing incremental improvements. Uh, and I'm basically having a self-imposed freeze of development after the next, well, I have two, now two committed features. Unless there's a customer that specifically asked for it and it sounds like they're going to leave, I'm not touching my app and it's marketing all the time. I forgot to mention one thing, a self-imposed thing that I did for the last several months was uh, I signed up for an Audible account and I'm only allowing myself to listen to sales and marketing books to try oh, wow. to keep myself in that place. It's painful though, so <laughs> I'm giving myself a, a brief pause. But yeah, that's what I have coming up and and no no conferences that I know of, but I, I probably will be hitting a few next year after James comes out of hibernation. Well, that's cool. This is so much fun. Um, it's nice to talk to you, Tom, and we enjoy having you on our show. Once again, reach out to us 
through uh, Reflection as a Service. You can find me on Twitter at dpaulmerrill. James, you can find at JD Jeffers. Tom, you want to give us some contact information if people want to get a hold of you? Adam Giant. It's A Tom Giant. Adam Giant. Cool. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to us. We love hearing back from our listeners. We want to know what you guys like, what you want to see changed. We have some technical uh, newness coming up, I believe. We've tried to improve the quality of this podcast over time. We're getting better at it, but we're going to get even better as we get new equipment in the next few episodes here. Right, James? Yep, that's the plan. So we're excited about that. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to hearing from you, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks.